0: The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. change. This is Rabbi Daniel Labin, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, oh happy warrior, to the only show in the digital universe where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works, and that? today is truer than ever let me tell you about a guy called simon newcomb who died in the early years of the 20th century um the guy was uh was amazingly um prolific he 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 taught himself economics amazingly and uh, he taught himself astronomy Um, He actually uh, played a role at the United States Naval Observatory. He was measuring planets, uh, using them as uh, navigational aids. Um, He got involved in measuring the speed of light uh, with one of the uh, creators of the famous Michelson-Morley experiment of the 19th century it's really it's it's pretty amazing stuff um he uh uh, he got involved with um economy he wrote something called the principles of political economy taught himself completely and uh the economist john maynard keynes who i didn't i don't care for I, i i think he caused a lot of economic problems of the 20th century, but he was certainly lionized after World War II. But John Maynard Keynes, certainly no slouch, uh, described um, Newcomb's work on the principles of political economy as one of those original works which a fresh scientific mind, not perverted by having read too much of the orthodox stuff, stuff is able to produce from time to time in a half-formed subject like economics. So, in other words, he got praised by John Maynard Keynes. Um, he uh, he did write in 1888, we are probably nearing the limit of all we can know about astronomy. That is debatable. I, I, I'm not automatically laughing at that statement because, um, well, uh, astronomy is, is not so simple it's not one of those fields like um, electronics uh, it's not one of those fields like materials uh, where we're just constantly uncovering newer and newer information Um he people criticize him as having mocked the possibility of building a flying machine um, so in 1903 I think it was 1900, I mean, just very shortly before uh, Wilbur and Orville Wright flew the first um, powered airplane, um, he begins an article that was called Is the Airship Possible? And he said, Well, that depends, first of all, on whether we are to make the requisite scientific discoveries. Uh, the construction of an aerial vehicle which could carry even a single man from place to place at pleasure requires the discovery of some new metal or some new force well that's true so i think he's wrong wrongly mocked uh, for that because he never said a, uh, an airplane's impossible but he certain what he did say was that with the present state of knowledge it simply can't be there um the um uh in 1865 an assistant of Edison um, r- a guy called Francis gel he wrote in um, no uh, yeah the this is, yeah, I'm sorry, yes. He he wrote the following. A man of about 43 years of age, giving the name Joshua Coppersmith, has been arrested for attempting to extort funds from ignorant and superstitious people by exhibiting a device which he says will convey the human voice any distance over metallic wires. He calls the instrument a telephone, which is obviously intended to imitate the word telegraph and win the confidence of those who know the success of the latter instrument. Well-informed people know that it is impossible to transmit the human voice Human voice over wires as can be done with dots and dashes and the signals of the morse code the authorities who apprehended this criminal are to be congratulated and hope that punishment will be prompt and fitting serves as an example to other schemers who enrich themselves to the expat anyway so this uh, this is is often quoted with some humor uh, because 1844 was when uh, samuel morse built the telegraph and transmitted a message from the book of numbers in the bible between baltimore and washington dc uh, and now just a few years later somebody is claiming to be able to uh, send voice down a wire and uh, and he is he is being punished for um for raising funds to try and develop that invention and an assistant of no less a person than thomas edison says impossible everyone knows you cannot transmit the human voice well of course alexander graham bell created the telephone just really very shortly after this so it's very easy to be wrong and uh and and people everybody bases their understanding of things on their present knowledge we all do that right and i want to tell you something that goes against your probably your present knowledge and so i'm i'm diffident about doing so because i know that uh, your instinct like anybody's would be to dismiss immediately what i want to share with you and present to you uh, as saying well this is you know completely impossible cannot be ridiculous because it flies in the face and here's where it gets complicated not only in the face of your knowledge but even worse than that it flies in the face of your psychology and your perceptions And so, I want to start off, before I tell you what I really want to tell you about, I want to explain that some of the hardest things in life to fully get are those things that are non-intuitive or counter-intuitive. So, when I tell you that I reveal how the world really works, one of the things that's part of understanding how the world really works is to know that some of the things about how the world works are really hard, hard to deal with, because they go against your intellectual knowledge and they go against your perception of things. So uh, let's look at some examples of these. Okay, um, if uh, if somebody says the better you get to know somebody before getting married, the more successful the marriage. Okay, so that would sound to be pretty intuitive. Yeah, sure. Surely you have a better chance of a successful marriage, the better you get to know somebody. But maybe the graph linking that rises to a peak and then drops off. So maybe the better you get to know somebody before getting married, is true up to a certain point and then after that point the better you get to know them the less successful the marriage so the graph is sort of looks like a camel's hump goes up and up and up but then it goes down and down and down the success of the marriage declines that's counterintuitive right because you'd say surely the surely the marriage is going to do better the better you know somebody well actually no if you really know them ultimately As well as you possibly can. Number one, you'll probably never get married because there's always new information. And and, if you said to somebody, never get married until you're 100% sure, that's ridiculous. Right? Because you can never be 100% sure. So therefore, you can never get married. Or maybe... Um, you should definitely have a full physical relationship, because in biblical terms, that is ultimately getting to know somebody, know them in a biblical sense. Well, obviously, you shouldn't get married till you really know them, and yet that turns out to not be the case. That's contrary to the truth. Or how about uh, here's one that is true, but is counterintuitive, right? you got two people, one Uh, leaves high school and goes and gets a job and goes to work and somebody else says no I'm not going to get a job for another five years and everybody says oh you're such a fool look at John he's already working he's been on his job two years he's had raises look how much money he's making you are making nothing and you say well yeah that's true but I am acquiring greater skills and I'm acquiring higher qualifications that ultimately will mean much more money for me Okay, so, yeah, counterintuitive. Uh, Or how about this statement? Driving more slowly might get you to your destination more quickly. Well, yeah, particularly if you get a stop for a traffic ticket on the way. So, um, uh, spending a lot of time in bright sunlight, well, that makes you look tanned and healthy. Ultimately, might make you look less healthy. Yeah, counterintuitive, but true. Uh, Don't buy a house and don't make any major investment until you're a hundred percent sure in others eliminate the risk well then like marriage you'll never make an investment or you'll never you can never be sure as a matter of fact if you eliminate all risk in the investment you've also made the profit potential zero um, how about this one uh, let's have a conversation about what you would see if you traveled beyond the last star of the universe now we've got a uh, a problem because our intuition doesn't even guide us there what lies beyond the furthest star and you start scratching your head Well, just emptiness no more stars or maybe that's the what 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 is it what if we just keep going to the end of the universe what do we see what what'll be there because we say to ourselves, hey, look, all physical things are measurable. All physical things have boundaries, right? Even the, uni- even the world, planet Earth, has, has measurements. It's measurable. How long would a string be that you wind all the way around the equator? About 25,000 miles long. We know that. It's measurable. Um, The weight of my body. Yeah, it's a physical thing. I can measure that. I may not want to, but I can. So, surely, the universe is a place where... Our planet is found in a solar system, and our solar system is part of the galaxy called the Milky Way, and there are many, many more galaxies and many more stars, and who knows, maybe many more planets, right, even though it's difficult to establish that, but um, there's got to be a measure, there's got to be a boundary, and when it's end, when we get to the end of it, there must be something there. You want to know another thing that's hard to conceive of? Time. Right. I can I can measure the position if you if you want to walk into the middle of your living room and hold out your hand and put out your forefinger and say, I want to be able to define this exact place where my forefinger is and I want to be able to send an email to my friend who has an exact duplicate of this room, and I want him to be able to put his forefinger at exactly the same point in the, in empty space in the middle of my living room. Well, yeah, we can do that. We're going to say, okay, let the northwest corner of the living room at the bottom, at the floor, be point zero. And then we're going to call one of the lines that runs along the base of one of the walls from that point we're going to call that the x-axis and the other base of a wall that runs in the other d- direction at 90 degrees let's call that the uh, y-axis and then the point going vertically upwards from that corner of the room between the two adjacent walls let's call that the z and now all i've got to do is is measure how far along one wall was my forefinger and give the measurement in inches or centimeters and how long, how far along the other point. In other words, if I dropped a string with a weight on the end of it from the end of my finger to the floor, where will that point be? Uh, how many inches along what I call the x-axis, how many inches along the y. Then I've measured out, I've described exactly that point on the floor. Now I'll say how high, how many inches off the floor, how many inches on the z-axis up the wall. Okay, and when I've given those three numbers, you know, I can say 107x and 72y and 48z, and I will have defined the exact position. And we can go upwards and downwards, backwards and forwards. We can define any point in the room in that fashion. But you see, to give a definition of a point in space, which we've just done, isn't enough because we've got a complication here. The complication is that I can mention a point in space, but that doesn't mean that you and I can meet there. I can say, okay, let's meet at the uh, main entry to the railway station. Okay, fine. The trouble is I've left out when we'll meet there. I've just told you where we'll meet. So you may go there after I've left. You may go there before I've arrived. We haven't we haven't arranged a meeting. You can only arrange a meeting when you define a place in space, and also, A point in time but time isn't like those xyz axes i've just spoken about because we can move in any direction on those but time you can only move in one direction You, you can only keep moving forward right that's that's weird it's kind of funny but uh it does seem to be a reality about time and it does seem as if we need both those and so Part of the reason that it is so baffling and, uh, and even frustrating to try and think of what lies beyond the edge of the universe is because we are thinking of it only in terms of space. We're thinking about going to the end of the universe is, go- is like going to the end of uh, Yosemite National Park in California. Right. At a certain point, you come to the end of the park. What lies beyond that? Well, there's some government owned land. There's some private owned land. You, there's some hills and mountains. It's easy. to It's easy to talk like that because we're just speaking about space. When I say space, I don't mean outer space. I mean space in terms of uh, a place. And so I can speak about what lies beyond any point in space on earth but as soon as we start moving into the universe and we start talking about huge distances well now apparently time is part of that and uh, and so for an ability to understand some of the really huge and incomprehensible facts about space It only makes sense if you realize that time is part of that. In other words, giving somebody a position in space doesn't ensure you can ever meet. Now, time has another complication, which is that it is very difficult to establish a shared instant of time between two people because two people have to be a certain distance apart from one another And the more distance apart from one another, the more difficult it is to agree on a shared conception of an instant. You know, let's imagine at the other end of a sports field, um, somebody says, I'm going to set everybody off on a race when I fire my gun. And there are three or four runners who are all right there next to the starter's gun, starter's pistol. Uh, But there's another runner who's doing a course at the far end of the field. He's a third of a mile away. And he is now waiting. And he notices the gun fires and he starts running. But he saw that all the other people cheated because they started running earlier. And he's very bothered by that. But it turns out that time takes a certain amount of time to get from one place to another. And so, although the original plan was for all the runners to start at the same instant, there isn't such a thing as the same instant when you're a distance away. And uh, you get a little bit closer to instantaneous if you watch for the smoke from the starter's pistol. But even that took a certain amount of time to get to you. So, the, uh, if you speak to somebody on a phone, somebody's in Australia, you're in Boston, and you say to the guy in Melbourne, Australia, okay, let's start our watches when I say now. Three, two, one, now. And you click your watch, and the other person clicks his watch. But over there in Melbourne, it took a while for your message to get to him down the phone wires. And so when you then bring your your watches together, They're not going to be synchronized because it's very difficult, if not impossible, to get a shared conception of time because it sort of seems to be subjective. And what's more, and now we are up to 20th century, early 20th century physics, uh, we actually have arrived at a thought experiment, and I'm not going to take you through it, although it's very beautiful and very elegant, maybe another time. And you'd all love it. Uh, I know that some people turn off when we get a bit technical, but don't, don't, because we've gone through it already. That's it. But one of the beautiful thought experiments shows, and this is something we can each understand, this requires, you know, no advanced mathematics or anything like that. We can actually show that time, that the speed of light changes... (laughs) let me put it this way, that time changes if you're moving very quickly. And so since Okay, I'm not I'm not going to get overly technical, but it has to do with the fact that oddly enough, in a way that is is bizarre, the speed of light never changes regardless of where you're looking at it from. Even if you're looking at it from a moving vehicle, whereas ordinarily things speed change. You know, have you ever been on uh, a slow moving train when a fast moving train comes zooming by? All of a sudden you feel as if you've stopped or you're going backwards and there is legitimacy to that feeling because The speeds are relative to one another. You've got to say, I'm moving so quickly relative to the Earth. But you can't say I'm moving so quickly relative to the sun, because in that case, you'd get a huge speeding ticket, because the Earth is moving you as well. Okay, so not delving too deeply into this. Just enough to say that uh, our perception of time actually changes if we're moving very rapidly which is bizarre right because you wouldn't have thought that the shape of an object would change if you move very rapidly so the x y z axes should stay the same but the time thing keeps changing okay fine well why, why am i telling you all of this because there is a beautifully elegant statement by a jewish polish or a polish jewish mathematician uh, by the name of Hermann minkowski and uh, he made the statement in 1908 he was did i say he was a teacher and a mentor to albert einstein another jewish mathematician he was german jewish um Herman Minkowski was Polish-Jewish, but uh, these were Jewish guys. This has a little bit of a bearing on um, a conversation we had in uh, last week's show about uh, intelligence and about uh, understanding and about uh, IQ. Anyways, here we got Herman Minkowski um, saying in 1908, and it's very beautiful. It's very elegant. I love this phrasing. That's told you all of this because we're leading up to something having to do with Herman Minkowski's statement. Here's what he said. The views of space and time, which I wish to lay before you, have sprung from the soil of experimental physics and therein lies their strength. They are radical. Henceforth, Space by itself and time by itself are doomed to fade away into mere shadows, and only a kind of union of the two will preserve an independent reality. What Herman Minkowski is saying very elegantly and very beautifully is that, hey, Lapin, all this time, you were dumb enough to think that space exists as a reality by itself and time exists as a reality by itself. And so you were stuck with all kinds of baffling and incomprehensible and even frustrating problems, such as what lies beyond the farthest star of the universe. But what we're trying to show you is that there is no such thing as space by itself. And there is no such thing as time by itself. The two have to blend together, and only in that way will you be able to understand some of the more complicated things that are available to understand in the universe. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, again, we don't have any perceptual relationship to that. So that's what I'm saying makes some of this so difficult. It's counterintuitive, but it's true. And so, Somebody might say, oh, what are you talking about, space? I don't know what you're even talking about. And there is no way to converse with that person. But for uh, thoughtful people, and you'll remember that this show is not prepared for tennis balls that float down the gutter of life. This show is designed for happy warriors. Happy warriors are people who are constantly grappling And they find joy in the struggle. And so one of the struggles that I present for your enjoyment this week is relating to this idea that we sometimes find two things in life that we thought were two completely separate different things. And we try and understand how the world really works, treating them as if they were two completely separate things. And it's simply doesn't work because our presumption was wrong well uh, it turns out that many thoughtful people uh, who had no scientific background actually started figuring this out it's quite beautiful Um, edgar Allan poe wrote a poem called the raven the baltimore ravens by the way the Baltimore Ravens uh, football team named after Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven because Edgar Allan Poe was one of the famous sons of the city of Baltimore and The Ravens of whom by the way the quarterback Lamar Jackson fantastic guy an unusual NFL player very unusual guy and uh, a religious Christian by the way Uh, so Lamar Jackson plays for the Ravens who got badly beaten and lost recently uh, through their own fault. It wasn't Lamar Jackson's fault, but um, in um, the, in a uh, essay that he called Eureka, written in 1848. Remember, Herman Minkowski, the Polish mathematician, Um, laid the groundwork for Einstein. Einstein's relativity follows a few years behind Minkowski, who in 1908 says, hey, stop thinking of space and time as two separate things. They blend into this weird reality that's hard to understand, but just know that space and time cannot be treated separately. So um, years earlier, more than 50 years earlier, uh, Edgar Allan Poe writes his um, essay called Cosmology, And here's what he's got a phrase in there where he says space and duration are one. Isn't that weird? Duration is another word for time, I think. And he actually says space and duration are like one and the same thing. I have absolutely no idea. I've been unsuccessful in trying to figure out or find out where he gets this. He gets this. Now, he talks, I mean, goes on page after page after page before he arrives at that conclusion that space and duration are the same thing, but none of it is mathematical. And so it's fascinating that... It's possible that Edgar Allan Poe, simply through grappling with trying to understand how the world really works, came up with his statement that space and duration are the same thing. Uh, A little bit later than Edgar Allan Poe, but still before Minkowski and well before Einstein, H.G. Wells um, wrote a novel called The Time Machine. And... um, and get in there, and he wasn't a mathematician or anything, but here's what he writes in The Time Machine. And if you've ever read The Time Machine, I'm sure you sailed right past this as I did the first time I ever read it. Here, I'm quoting directly from H.G. Wells' Time Machine, and he writes, there is no difference between time and any of the three dimensions of space, except that our consciousness moves along it scientific people know very well that time is only a kind of space (laughs) it's really weird i gotta tell you (laughs) it really is but it just goes to show that if a happy warrior is thoughtful enough even if you don't have a background in in mathematics and you don't have a background in physics somehow or another you still can arrive at this concept that space and time are combined. And sure enough, if you successfully wrap yourself around that idea, you then are able to deal to some degree with questions like, what lies beyond the furthest star? Now, before I tell you, uh, why I told you all of that, uh, I want to mention that there is a resource on our website that is available at a special price for listen- for um, listeners to the show. Uh, it's called Boost Your Income, and it's something you should be aware of. All you have to do is go to our website at and And there, you will be able to go to the store and look for an audio program called Boost Your Income, Three Spiritual Strategies for Financial Abundance. Uh, You can even download it. It Takes you an hour to, to listen to, an hour to study, but you do need to hear it more than once. And there are specific spiritual strategies that you can immediately sow into your life and deploy. In all of your enterprises, which actually result in tangible benefit, these things actually result in more profitable engagements. So take a look at that. It's called boost your income, and you will find it on the store page at RabbiDanielLappin.com. Now, uh, what did I? What was I telling you? About, I was telling you that things that we always assumed were two completely separate things time and space, or time and place, or as Edgar Allan Poe put it, duration and. space whatever you want to call it that these two things that i always assumed were just two completely separate words two completely separate concepts two completely separate things and ideas well guess what they don't exist separately they're all they they are part of one another and the fact that we have words for them separately is really because they're counterintuitive In our normal day-to-day lives, our perceptions do not show these things as visible. Well, there are another two things that have no separate existence, that belong together. Now, you might think they have separate existences, just as you might think that space has a separate existence from time. And they do, but only to a very limited extent but for a full understanding of how the world really works you absolutely have to blend space and time together into a kind of new reality that's what hermann minkowski was trying to, to to formulate and einstein jumped on that carried it further and ended up with the general theory the special theory of relativity and then the general theory of relativity we don't need to go into that but the two things that strangely enough do really belong together and only exist in a kind of blended combined reality are marriage and money that's right male female relationships not separable from money you weren't you weren't expecting that were you I, i hope i surprised you with that right these are not separate things and in exactly the same way As any attempt you make to master understanding of the universe without working with this new combined entity of space-time, it's not going to work. In the same way, any attempt to master either money or marriage without understanding that the two are inseparably bound together, well, I'm afraid that that is doomed to failure. These two things do go together. And so let's just take a look at uh, a couple of ways in which they go together. One way is that there is a, an unequal power dynamic at play. With money? Sure. Because in any economic transaction... One person is doing the buying, and one person is doing the selling. And this is even if uh, you are hiring somebody, right? Then there's somebody who is trying to buy the labor, the, exp- the experience, the capability of another person. You've got a buyer and then you've got a seller. Um, if somebody wants to suggest a business partnership to somebody else. You know, I uh, I make something I call waffles. You make something we call ice cream. Why don't we go into business together and I'll bend my waffles into the shape of a cone. You put ice cream in it and we'll start a new business of ice cream cones. All right. Well, I'm making that suggestion because it'll be better for me. I am selling you on the idea of selling your independent Existence as an ice cream manufacturer in exchange for part of a new combined entity. And in all of these situations, there is always a power dynamic. Let's imagine that there is very low unemployment. Okay, so now who is the buyer and who's the seller? Well, low unemployment means that companies have trouble filling jobs because there's not a lot of job seeking people around and so the the um the the person advertising a job is really the buyer he's trying he's trying to get something from the other person in exchange for which he's willing to pay money in the form of a salary but it's not an equal relationship at all because the job uh, the the worker has so many options and so he'll say to one person trying to hire him how much will you give me then he'll go to the other person when the person gives him a a salary figure he'll say well i can get more than that somewhere else so now the uh, employer potential employer has to decide what is it really worth to him but uh, sometimes it's the other way around right where uh, i could be desperate for a job i knock on the door of a company and i say i'd really like to come work for your company or i saw a, a job advertisement i'd love to come work for your company and now i am trying to sell myself desperately i'm trying to persuade you that hiring me would be one of the best decisions you could make but that's not an, it's not an equal relationship the, there is a power dynamic and it shifts Right, there, there, there. Are times it's one way; there are times it's the other way. In a male-female relationship, it's just the same. There are times where a man is the buyer and the woman is the seller, where he is trying very hard to get her to agree, whatever it is, you know, to marry him or 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 otherwise. Um, then there are other times where the dynamic is different where you know they've been going out for for two years she feels heavily invested because she's got two years of her life invested in the relationship she really now wants to persuade him to marry her the dynamics are different other times um, they're, they're married and and a man discovers that one of his greatest pleasures and joys in life is bringing happiness to his wife and so he is seeking ways to make her happy. Uh, other times she gets joy out of making him happy and so on and so forth. So there's never such a thing as an equality in a, a financial relationship, never such thing as complete equality in a male-female relationship. But there are similarities because of this shifting power dynamic. We can see that these two relationships are exactly the same in that respect. They're also the same in that both need the interaction of another human being. There simply is no such thing as a sexual relationship that doesn't involve another human being. Similarly, there is no such thing as an economic transaction that doesn't involve another human being. Um, To put it bluntly, you cannot possibly make money. If you are determined to interact with no other human being can't be done. It is only when one human being serves another human being, or if you like one human institution like a corporation serves another human institution like a marketplace or a corporation, but it is always involving connections between people. So in that sense, once again, a sexual relationship resembles an economic relationship. Because in both cases, it's an interaction between two human beings. And uh, furthermore, it's got to be between two human beings with different needs. Okay, you obviously do not have a trade. You cannot have a trade if the two human beings have exactly the same desires and wishes at the exact same moment. Uh, to whatever extent, exact same moment exists, because we already covered that that's pretty hard. But in other words, if you met your clone, you would never do any kind of transaction with your clone, because if you said, um, I'd like to sell you my car, your clone would say, hmm, me too. I've also got a car I want to sell. So I'm certainly not going to buy yours. Um, if you said to your clone, uh, would you sell me your watch? Your clone says, no, I like my watch. I'm not going to sell it. You know it's it's not possible the only reason that trade exists is because human beings are different from one another that's how it works similarly a male-female relationship a marital relationship a sexual relationship between two people only works when they are different from one another and indeed that is exactly what we find. It is a woman in her femininity desires masculinity. Where she is soft, she seeks hard. Where he is uh, bold and uh, and um, uh, pushy, she is yielding and surrendering. It is that complementary quality in the two of them that makes the relationship what it now I know what some of you are inevitably thinking well does it really have to be between two uh, genders well yeah absolutely but what about well um what about uh, masturbation frankly isn't that a sexual relation no it isn't Uh, the sexual relationship in its fullness is between a man and a woman. Now, that's not the main topic of today's show, but I could easily do an hour on why it is that um, almost in mathematical terms and certainly in human experiential terms, there is absolutely nothing else that even comes close to a male-female relationship. It stands unique and separate from everything else. And, and so whether you're talking about an economic interaction or a sexual interaction, it is between two people, number one, and number two, two people with different desires and qualities and needs, because otherwise there'd be no relationship, there'd be no trade. Here's something else that's important, and that is communication brings about the transaction. So you're not going to do very well financially if you cannot communicate and cannot talk. If you're very introverted and you just find it so hard to express yourself, you find it so challenging or painful because you're shy, you find it so difficult to articulate an idea Because after all, every transaction is an idea. I have an idea why you and I can both benefit. If you buy this watch from me, I will be better off because I can use the money more than I need the watch. You will be better off because you need this watch much more than you need the money. And if you cannot articulate a deal, then you will never be able to move forward. You simply can't do it. It's a very, very powerful idea. And this is why it is that... In the uh, materials, whether it's in books or whether it is in audio programs, all available on our website at rabbidaniellappin.com, I always stress certain specific strategies for improving your ability to communicate. People sometimes very glibly talk about, oh, he's got the gift of the gab. That is a very disparaging way of describing what is truly a holy quality, truly the ability of a human being uh, to bring the spiritual into physical existence. It is literally an act of creation taking something that was not here a moment ago and giving life to it. If you think about it, that is the holiness of the power of speech, that up until that moment, it was nothing but an idea embedded in your soul, in your heart, in your mind. And now all of a sudden it is moving and vibrating air molecules that travel through space and impinge on the eardrums of another human being or on the eardrums of another thousand human beings or a million human beings but whatever it is once it impinges on the eardrums of at least one other human being something has been created it's an incredibly powerful thing it's something uniquely given to the human being touched by the finger of God that we are able to do this. And this power of speech needs to be strengthened, enhanced, built, uh, developed, increased, all of that, because without it, there is no financial economic interaction it only happens when one person talks to another human being that's one of the reasons that the so-called business lunch is so important because when you talk over a meal there's some value to that one of the reasons that although i do not know the game and i've never played it golf remains an important business activity I I don't know for sure, but I can't imagine that the IRS does not allow membership in a golf club to be deducted as a business expense. If they don't, they should. Because the only reason to play golf is to have an uninterrupted few hours conversation with a business associate. All right. Nobody can persuade me that there's actually exercise involved. What, driving around a golf cart really works those muscles? No. No. It is an opportunity to talk. That's the value of golf. And so it is also in uh, building a relationship between a man and a woman, particularly for the man, particularly for the man, uh, the ability to communicate is hugely important because communication particularly on a personal and emotional level, comes more naturally and more easily to females than to males. But the male has to develop that before he is in a relationship of this kind. Firstly, it's absolutely essential for the creation of this uh, relationship. And because so much in modern life today undermines the ability to communicate, first of all, shockingly bad education in geeks, right Children spend twelve years in a government indoctrination camp, and they come out literally incapable of communicating. And that is one of the factors that contribute, it's a small factor, but it contributes to violence. Because if you've ever watched a pre-talking toddler suffer agonies of frustration because his cognitive development is at the point where this little child is desperately trying to talk. He even may think he is getting through to you. And you, the mother, you, the father, you just don't seem to know what he's trying to say. And this poor kid boils with frustration. Well, imagine what happens if you are a 16, 17, 18, 20, 21-year-old graduate of a geek. And you're trying to make your feelings felt and you're trying to express your desires and your wishes and you have you lack the words. And so you take refuge, first of all, in vulgarity and obscenities, profanities, and you substitute a vulgar word every time you can't think of the right word. Every time you need a moment to try and grasp desperately into the recesses of your memory for that word you think you heard somebody use that would be just what you want at this moment, well, you plug a profanity or an obscenity into the gap in the conversation at that point. These the the spread of uh, profanity and vulgarity in language is a symptom of people's diminished ability to communicate. It's hugely problematic. And uh, the, the sinking into violence to lash out when you are unable to communicate effectively with words. And, you know, desperately parents keep saying to their little kids, say it with words, say it with words. You know, a little kid in frustration punches out his sibling or he knocks over and throws something on the floor. And the parents grope um, in futility. I know you're angry, but I want you to say it in words. Well, yes, we do. But you may have allowed your child so much time in front of a screen that you've effectively destroyed his ability to communicate. That's right. That is another factor that undermines our ability to communicate. Obviously, it's much harder to get a child to read a book when the temptation is sitting right there of looking at a screen. I get that. I really do. But you're well, you're abusing your child, if we're going to sort of use one of the popular words out there today. You're certainly not doing your job as a parent by not making sure that your children uh, build a relationship with books and reading. It's not the same to be looking at a picture. You are undermining their ability to communicate. And so, uh, so it is, you know, when people um, people sometimes admire, you know, one man's ability to charm a woman. He meets a woman and they straight, he's straight away charming her. It's nine times out of a ten the way he communicates. He communicates so effectively, he exudes confidence. And one of the great, talking of something we've discussed the last couple of weeks, one of the great casualties of an inability to communicate is, in fact, confidence. And so, yes, whether you want to uh, bring about a financial relationship or you want to bring out a sexual and ultimately a marital relationship, uh, obviously, communication is absolutely fundamental. There's another thing. If you're a selfish human being, you cannot succeed either in a male-female relationship or in a financial relationship because... None of us want to do business with selfish, venal people. There's just no pleasure there. And I'm not going to trade with such a person unless I have absolutely no choice. If, if there's no alternative, I may be forced to. But other than that, I'm going to select out a store, a vendor, a lawyer, a tax accountant, a plumber who it's just pleasant to do business with because that adds joy to my life and so if i find out somebody who seeks he's not selfish and he seeks to bring my satisfaction and to fulfill my needs i want to lock that person up either as an employee or as a partner or as a vendor or as a trading associate that's what i want to do because focusing on the needs and desires of other people is the way to bring about effective financial relationships how about male female relationships (laughs) it's it barely needs my elaboration does it i mean i'm sure you got it right away obviously you come across to a woman as somebody who cares about other people you know the way you you treat strangers she's noticing that you're on a date and she sees how you treat other people the uber driver the uh, the the waiter in your whatever it is and she gets a sense of how you want to treat her that's very appealing and likewise the other way around you know there are times a man meets a woman who is so self-centered and so full of herself and so carried away with her own looks apropos of something that we discussed also a few weeks ago uh, he runs for his life if he's got any smarts at all that's right Uh, radiating a focus on the needs and satisfactions and desires of the other person is an absolutely crucial part of either money or marriage and so you should be seeing why it is that I've been talking about the inextricable bond that links money and marriage just as powerfully as space and time are linked in the world in which we live. Um so it is that uh, the 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 uh, the other connections, there are many more. Uh, The idea that both relationships are seeking something with a spiritual dimension, not just a physical one, obviously that both parties emerge from the interaction better off than they were before, whether the interaction is male, female, or monetary, obviously they both come away better off than they were before they started the interaction, clearly, and, uh, and, and so it is, that and many, many more aspects of male-female relationships are identical to aspects of monetary, financial, economic relationships because the two go together. Um, any woman who does not take into account the finances of the man she is meeting is a foolish woman, very much so. Now, it doesn't work in the reverse in exactly the same way, obviously. A man who examines and probes the financial prospects of a woman he's thinking seriously about uh, is making a big mistake as well, because males and females are not the same. And this is a very important part of understanding how the world really works, of course. Uh, If you're looking to hire a man for a job, now, I know you're not even supposed to say that, right? You're supposed to be hiring a person for a job, and whether it's a male or a female who applies, you're supposed to make absolutely no distinction. However, far be it from me to advise you to break the law, the last thing I would do is recommend you break the law in any way whatsoever. I would absolutely not do that. And so therefore, I cannot tell you that if you feel a job really requires a man, how would I, your rabbi, tell you to break the law and only hire a man? Well, let's imagine you are hiring a man and your choice is between a married man and a single man. In general, like 99% of the time, You will get a far better employee. You will have a far more satisfactory financial relationship with this man if he is married than if he is single. That is one of the uh, ways in which finance and marriage interact with one another. Uh, Let's imagine you want to study poverty within a group of people or within a particular demographic. Uh, whether it's uh, people in, in, in the United Kingdom or in Germany or in the United States, whatever it is, you're looking at a particular group of people and you're trying to understand you know why uh, poverty is prevalent. Maybe you, maybe you're studying the, uh, uh, the people who live in a particular neighborhood of Sydney, Australia wh- whatever it is. Uh, the first thing you should look at is marriage. If this group of people, does very little in the way of forming and maintaining stable and consistent marriages and families, then don't be surprised if they languish behind financially as well. That's right. Get used to this idea that money and marriage are really part of the same thing. They're part of one comprehensive reality in exactly the same way that you can't possibly understand the world in which we live and the universe in which our planet is present if you don't understand that space and time have actually been replaced as individuals and replaced by a, a difficult to comprehend kind of combined reality and in exactly the same way so it is that we too in the areas of money and marriage although we are accustomed to thinking of them as separate and although it's very difficult to reconcile this idea that these are not separate things but they are absolutely bound together but no- nonetheless you will have a far far better understanding of how the world really works when you understand the bond between money and marriage the uh, the uh, audio program I recommend for your attention is a very small and inexpensive one-hour teaching called Boost Your Income. You will find it at rabbi rabbidaniellappin.com and go to the store. You will see it there. You will enjoy it and you will find that not only you, but people in your orbit, friends and family members really need to hear this as well. So, uh, Go ahead and download it or buy it and have an audio CD sent to you, and uh, you will be able to benefit from it in that fashion. So uh, also be aware of the website, rabbi rabbidaniellappin.com. Make sure you're on the mailing list to get Susan's Musings, Ask the Rabbi, Thought Tools, and also be in touch with us. Thank you, all of those of you who've let me know recently where you're listening from. I've had the most wonderful emails from literally all around the world. I love it. I love knowing we're reaching far and wide, and I love hearing some of your very interesting stories. Some of you are good enough to share a little bit about your lives, and uh, I love that. I um, get to know people in different parts of the world, uh, just got to know a regular listening couple in Vilna, Lithuania, and that was fun. So, um, also uh, the extent to which You spread the word of the show. Greatly appreciated Uh, sending people the URL, sending people the podcast, letting people know how they can listen to it. If you think there are people who like minded people who are able to hear things that don't necessarily massage them with warm butter because most people just want to be massaged with warm butter. You know that, right? The overwhelming majority of people only want to hear things that confirm and uh, reconfirm that which they already want to believe. But if they are not tennis balls floating down the gutter of life, if they are happy warriors, eager to go beyond being massaged with warm butter, well, then you want to tell them about this show because that'll gain us numbers and that makes us more effective and that makes us economically more viable as well so thanks very much indeed to all of you who are so effectively doing exactly those things Uh, we're also doing a couple of projects stay in touch with us Uh, we are inviting uh, you to participate in the reissuing of America's Real War. Uh, it is a book we originally published in 1999, entitled, subtitled, "A Rabbi Insists That Judeo-Christian-based, biblically-based values are vital for our nation's survival." And so, uh, if you are comfortable with that notion, then yes, then you would definitely want to know more about that. Uh, If, on the other hand, you are not a happy warrior and you believe that Judeo-Christian values based on the Bible are horrible and primitive obstructions to what you see as progress, well, then you obviously would not want to be part in that. You probably wouldn't even be comfortable listening to this show. So, I'm assuming you are all happy warriors. And it is as happy warriors that I see you all, and it's happy warriors that I want to wish a wonderful week of great times with your faith, with your families, with your friends and your finances. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. Spilling ancient solutions to modern problems in areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lapin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network.